This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, October 12th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Uh, I'm Buster Only, working from a hotel here in Bristol, uh, doing baseball tonight during the course of this week. Uh, Taylor Schwink is working from the Schwink Studios. Um, I just want to start with this, Taylor. Today is my little brother Sam Lincoln's birthday, but it's not the only birthday on the podcast today. Yeah, we've got another one. Sarah Abbott, happy birthday to her. She's uh, not on our recording at this very moment, but uh, I know she's a big birthday girl. We're going to talk to a a person who celebrates birthdays later. So I feel like we could be seeing some uh, some candles blown out or something. Yeah, that would be Sarah Langs, who, as we know, is the most positive person uh, we've ever known. And she, I'm sure, has some strong feelings about what happened in Philadelphia last night because that was absolutely crazy. So just to give some context for this, for those who uh, have been off on another planet, at the end of game two, uh, Bryce Harper uh, on a deep fly ball to right center field, uh, rounded second base and slipped when he saw that Michael Harris caught the caught the ball in center field. And then he was trying to retreat to first, uh, first base. Austin Riley uh, picked up the ball and doubled him off to end the game. Well, after the game, Orlando Arcia was in the Braves clubhouse. There were a bunch of reporters in there, and he called out, among other things, Attaboy Harper. I will tell you, and we're going to get into this a little bit with uh, with Carl Ravitch today. We're also going to be talking with Alex Cora. I heard the audio of what he said last night because I had my questions about, you know, the legitimacy of this. Nope, he definitely said it in the clubhouse. So that was the, the setup. Teammates told Bryce Harper about what R.C. had said in the Braves clubhouse after game two. In Philadelphia last night, the start of game three, Ozzie Albies, top of third inning, gave the Braves a lead. The pitch. Swing and a line drive. Base hit into right field. Acuna towards third. They're going to send him. Here's the throw to the plate. It's too late. Acuna is in. It's an RBI single for Ozzie Albies into right field, and the Braves have jumped in front one to nothing. That, of course, was the voice of the legend, Boog Shambi on ESPN Radio. Bottom of the third inning, the Phillies struck back. 1-0 from Elder. Swing and a high fly ball, left field, and that one is back, and forget it. That one is gone. Home run, Castellanos, a towering homer to left. And with one swing, the Phillies draw even. It is 1-1. And as Harper rounded second base, he stared down Orlando Arcia, 4-1 lead. Bryce Elder, by the way, got the start for the Braves. He looked good early, but that third inning turned out to be really ugly for him. By the fifth inning, the Phillies were really putting the route on the Braves. Swing and a high fly ball center field. Harris back, back some more near the wall. Gone! Just to the left of the 401 marker, a towering homer to center field, and Bryce Harper has done it again. Here comes. Swing and a drive. Right field, way back, and gone. Oh, baby, did he crush it. Into the second deck, a monster homer for Bryce Harper, and with one swing, the Phillies have a 4-1 lead. He crushed it. And he stared down Orlando Arcia again. And the Phillies kept on piling on this game. Trey Turner, Nick Castellanos, Brandon Marsh, 
all hit home runs. The Phillies in this game wound up with six homers. Here was what it sounded like right at the end of the game. A 2-2. Swing and a ground ball towards third. Backhanded Bohm slings the first. In time ball game. And the Phillies have taken a 2-1 lead in this NLDS. They're one win away from advancing to the National League Championship Series. And, of course, Bryce Harper spoke with TBS right after the game. There's a little chill in the air. Bryce Harper is punishing the Braves. It feels like October again. This place was ready to go nuts, and you guys delivered six home runs. How much fun was this? Yeah, it was good. You know, I think, uh, you know, just trying to set the tone, you know, at home, being able to play in front of this fan base, there's nothing like it. Uh, That's a really good team over there. Elder had a great year, uh, so we just tried to put pressure on them early, and Nola went out there, did his job, and uh, just a really good win. You've now hit more home runs in this round of the postseason than any, any player ever. What does that mean to you? I just want to win. I don't care. You know, I, I just want to go out there, play my best baseball, and win games. That's what it's all about. It's about every, every guy in here, 25 of us going out there and playing our game, plus 40,000 out here. So that's what it's all about. So Bryce Harper went into the uh, press conference room uh, that they have at Citizens Bank Park, and that's where he was asked about RCA's comments. It's a super competitive game that we play, and, uh, you know, from both sides of the ball. And I enjoy um, commentary and things. And like I said, you know, I listen to WIP, and um, you hear a lot of stuff on there as well at times. And I just enjoy it. It's it's why, it's a part of the reason why we play this game. And uh, there's nothing like it. Um, everybody's competitive that we play against, and um, I just really enjoy those moments and, and the opportunity to play this game and have those moments. He was asked more directly if he was motivated by RC's comments. Was there any motivation? I mean, any time anybody says something, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. Did you enjoy staring them down? Yeah, I mean, I stared right at him. <laughs> He's very matter of fact. Orlando Arce has spoken to reporters about his comments through an interpreter. Did you intend for it to get back to Harper when you saw that? No, está supuesto escucharlo, por eso lo estamos celebrando en el clubhouse. He he wasn't supposed to hear. That's why we were celebrating. That was where we were uh, talking in the clubhouse. Yeah, and I've got some feelings about that. Travis Darno said after the game, uh, and you'll hear these comments that uh, the clubhouse is a sanctuary. Uh, Carl Ravitch and I will discuss that whole thing about what's on the record and what's off the record when you're talking with players. Here's Rob Thompson talking about Harper bouncing back from that mistake at the end of game two. He's a big game player. He really is. Um, these moments, he steps up. And I, I think that he, you know, he wanted to uh, correct himself for the base running error so that that gets him going a little bit, but uh, he wants to win, and he, he comes to play every day, and and when the when the lights are the brightest, he shows up. During the regular season, the Atlanta Braves were easily the best team in baseball, and they're now one game away from elimination. Spencer Strider will be on the mound for them tonight. Ranger Suarez will be pitching for the Phillies. Brian Sitka, the Braves manager, was asked about having Strider, and then if they win this game, Max Fried pitching in game five. You know, it's great. I, I say, if we can't win one of those two games or, or both of those games with those guys, then you know what? That's, I feel pretty good about the next two starts that we got. Astros, Twins, the Astros with a 2-1 to lead in the best of five division series in Minnesota. And the Twins got off to a good start. 
The windup and the one-two to Lewis. He swings, lifts it in the air to left. Brantley is back. He's at the warning track. Looks up, and it is gone off the ribbon board, and it bounces back into the field of play. A long ball for Royce Lewis, his fourth of the postseason, and in the bottom of the first, the Twins lead the Astros one to nothing. But a professional hitter, Michael Brantley, tied the score for the Astros. Ryan turns and fires, 0-1. Swinging a ball, well hit out to right field. Kepler on the move, he looks up, and that ball is out of here. A game-tying solo home run from Michael Brantley. Off the bat, it looked like Kepler might have a play on it, but it just continued to carry right over the metal fencing into the seats in right. And the top of the second, it's the Astros one and the Twins one. Joe Ryan started for the Twins in this game, and then after that, following a script, the uh, Twins went to the bullpen. They called on a lefty. Jordan Alvarez led off for the Astros. He hit a single. And then after Kyle Tucker batted, Jose Abreu came to the plate. 1-0. This one hit well in the air out toward right center field. Kepler's on the move. He looks up, and that is out of here. Another home run for Jose Abreu, his third of the series. A two-run blast out to right center field. And in the fourth, the Astros lead the Twins 3-1. to Jose Arquiti pitched well for the Twins through five and pitched into the sixth inning, and then the bullpen took over Hector Neris. Hector Neris worked through a Twins rally in the seventh inning. The 3-2 pitch, swing and a miss. He struck him out on a fastball. Comes back to get the K, two up and two set aside for the Twins in the seventh. The 1-2. Swing and a foul tip into Maldonado's glove for strike three, and the inning is over. 1-2-3 for Neris. And here's what it sounded like in the ninth inning. Two out, one run game, and the 3-2 is on the outside corner. It's strike three called. Ball game over, and the Astros defeat the Twins 3-2. Houston advances to the American League Championship Series with a date with the Texas Rangers. Seven straight years, the Astros have made the American League Championship Series. Rocco Baldelli, the Twins manager, talked about how his team is not that far from reaching the World Series. You know, we're not that far from playing in the World Series. We're playing against the best teams in baseball right now, doing it uh <clears throat> a hell of a job going out there competing against them and beating them. Uh, we didn't get it done in this series. We got beat. But I couldn't be happier with what I saw from so many of our guys, and, and, and I told them that. And we had a team, we assembled a team this year that had a lot of baseball players on the team, guys that have uh, really good feel. They love coming to the ballpark every day. They love to work. And when you have guys that love to work, you're capable of more when you have a group like that. Twin shortstop Carlos Correa, the leader of this team, spoke very hopefully about the future for Minnesota. You know, we already lost. There's nothing you can do about it. Now you got to move forward, you know, live in the present and prepare for the future. And uh, there's nothing we can do about the loss. We can talk here all, all we want about what we could have done right, what went wrong and all that, but there's no way to change it. So let's move forward. Let's focus on, on what's next. And what's next is that the future is bright for this organization, for the young guys. Obviously, we didn't accomplish what we wanted to accomplish. Uh, this was just an appetizer. And uh, we're going to show up better this spring training. And uh, eventually, we're going to get to where we want to be. And that's holding a World Series trophy. The Rangers, of course, have made it to the American League Championship Series or had clinched the night before. And Astros manager Dusty Baker talked about what it meant to close out the series yesterday. You know, try to win that game today. And we really wanted it. 
especially because you don't want to go back home to play that fifth game if you don't have to, and then we had to burn Verlander. So now, you know, um, you know, both of our teams, Texas and us, are pretty, you know, rested in our pins and uh, and in our starting rotation. So it should be a, should be a heck of a series. Now, Jose Abreu struggled so badly at the beginning of this year for the Astros. Didn't hit his first homer for Houston until his 51st game. And he was asked about the doubts about his performance early in the year. Cuando la gente dice que no estás rindiendo, no estás haciendo el trabajo, eso es algo que te da energía a ti. ¿Y cómo tú bregas con eso? Son cosas que yo no controlo. Lo que otra gente dice no lo controlo. Pero nadie me va a quitar la persona que soy yo. You know, those are things I can't control. You know, I can't control what other people say or think, but, you know, I'm not going to change who I am. The Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks looking to close out that series against L.A. Lance Lynn on the mound for the Dodgers, and he looked good early. Runners lead, Gurriel at second, Thomas at first, the 3-2, a Longoria swing and a miss, struck him out with an elevated fastball. First strikeout for Lynn, the Diamondbacks, strand two. Now, the big issue all year for Lance Lynn has been keeping the ball in the ballpark. Postseason, regular season combined, he'd allowed a total of 44 homers going into this game. And then in the bottom of the third inning, Geraldo Perdomo added to the home run total. The 2-1. Swing and Perdomo a drive to right. Hayward going back. He's to the track. And it is gone. A home run. Geraldo Perdomo is first of the playoffs. He had six in the regular season. And Arizona strikes first, one nothing Diamondbacks. Cattell Marte fouled. This is what happened. And the 1-0 pitch, and Marte swings, and a deep drive to right. He's all over this one. Long gone from Marte. Way up into the right field bleachers. Marte's second postseason homer, 2-0 Diamondbacks. Christian Walker would hit a home run. Gabby Moreno would hit a home run four in that one uh, inning for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's the most for any inning for any team in postseason history. And also the 48 homers allowed by Lance Lynn, regular season, postseason combined, tied for third most all time. The Dodgers starting pitchers in this series, 13 runs allowed in four and a third innings. In the top of the seventh inning, the Dodgers tried to come back. Thompson ready, here it comes, and Taylor swings and loops one in a shallow left, coming in. Gurriel has to play it on a hop. Around third, Muncie racing for the plate. He slides in safe as the throw is offline. Stopping at second is Smith. Chris Taylor, a two-out RBI single to get the Dodgers on the board. Taylor at first base, Thompson from the belt in the pitch. Swing and a line drive, left center field, and that's a hit. Around third, Will Smith racing for the plate. The throw is cut, stopping at second, Taylor. Four straight hits for the Dodgers, and they've cut the lead in half. In the top of the eighth inning, after Dodgers got one runner on base, Kevin Ginkle was on the mound with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman coming up. The 2-2. Swing and a miss, got him with a slider. Struck him out, one away in the eighth, and here is Freeman. Biggest strikeout of the game. I mean, that just feels like any momentum for the Dodgers. And you still got Freddie Freeman up to bat here, but Mookie Betts, that was impressive. Kevin Ginkle brings the hands together at the chest, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss. Lou 98 by Freeman. Yeah, and this is what it sounded like in the ninth inning. Two and two on Hernandez. Smith leads it first. The pitch. Swing and a ball hit in the air to left. Gurriel will get there over toward the line. Makes the catch. 
And the Diamondbacks have swept the Dodgers. The Diamondbacks sweep the Dodgers incredibly. Zach Gallen talked about how close this Diamondbacks team is. The young guys that have come up have played with each other now for, you know, a handful of years in the minor leagues. So they've kind of come up with each other. They're familiar with each other. They've had success with each other. And then they, they kind of brought that up here with, you know, the, the veteran guys who have been here and just kind of want to, you know, hang out and play good baseball and have fun. Um, and I think we have a just a chill clubhouse since everyone gets along pretty well and everyone just likes coming to the field and hanging out and, you know, having success. I think that's kind of where our connectedness comes from. You know, it's, it's probably the closest team I've been on that I can remember, really. Mookie Betts talked about being swept by the Diamondbacks. Mookie, can you just put to words if you have them available, just with the frustration of kind of closing out the season the way that you guys did here today? Uh, I mean, it's obviously super frustrating. There is no real, no real words for it. They played better. We didn't do much. I, I can't speak for all of us, but I know for sure I, I did absolutely nothing to, to help us win. There's no, there's no real words for, words for it. Dave Roberts talked about needing to figure stuff out. You know, honestly, I, I can't even, you know, there's some things with the format that, you know, people can dissect or whatever. But the bottom line is that, um, you know, the last two years we've got outplayed in the postseason. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it was a seven-game series. You know, we lost the first three games. And so, um, for me, I've got to do a better job of, you know, figuring out a way to get our guys prepared for the postseason. And so I'll own that. You know, I think we got great players. You know, I've got to figure out a way to, you know, get these guys prepared for whatever format, whatever series. So, yeah, the regular season, I think we do a great job. But, um, you know, the last couple postseasons, uh, it just hasn't gone well for us. And so, you know, I got to figure it out. So, of course, uh, reporters surrounded Clayton Kershaw. Nobody knows if he's going to pitch in 2024. They asked him about the challenges of the new playoff format. Look, it's hard. I mean, pitching maybe not so much, but obviously offensively, these guys are so used to playing every day. So um, I get it, extra teams and, um, you know, more money, all that stuff. I get it. But uh, I do think that, I mean, I, I'm not a hitter, but it does seem like it's a bit of a challenge for guys. It's not an excuse, though. I mean, at the end of the day, we had a good opportunity and, um, you know, we should have won two out of three, or three out of five. He was asked questions about his future. You said over the last couple of years, it's always year, year to year for you. Um, at this point, you're talking about processing it. Is there anything different about this offseason as you go into it compared to the last two? Well, yeah, but I'm not gonna, we'll see. I'm not sure. I don't know how to answer that right now. Yeah. So Clayton Kershaw, we'll find out, I'm sure, in the next couple of months whether or not this is the end for his career. Uh, one game later today, as I mentioned, you get the Braves and the Phillies. That game at 8 o'clock tonight. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, new episode of the College Game Day podcast. Recorded it on Wednesday with uh, Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, Bill Connolly. They're talking about a big-time quarterback matchup between Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. in Oregon against Washington, where game day will be. Deep diving on that good episode. Check it out where you're listening to this show or on YouTube. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. 
That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, play-by-play man this round on ESPN Radio. He had the Rangers and Orioles, and Carl, I'm going to ask you about that. But tonight, you get to watch the show, the Phillies and the Braves, Spencer Strider on the mound. It, it feels like, to me, like Spencer, in this case, when we break down these series, you know, you're, you're match, wondering how the bullpen's going to match up. You're wondering how the lineup's going to match up. In this case... If the Braves are going to win this series, I think Spencer Strider has to basically put the whole team on his back. I think he does. I think it's uh, I think it's telling what happened in the first game that he pitched. I think the Phillies are going into this feeling incredibly confident. Um, there's not a lot of tricks with Strider, Buster. You know, you kind of know what you're going to get. We've seen it. It's a strikeout machine. But he will occasionally, if he leaves a pitch up or it's not a slider that doesn't slide enough, they're going to hit it. And we just finished that Texas series. Philadelphia, you know, the momentum is your next day starting pitcher. Momentum also is an offense that's rolling. The Rangers rolled through their series. The Phillies after yesterday feel incredibly confident. They got a whole bunch of other peripheral things going on that are apparently being used as as motivation. But... Uh, you know, if Strider had been dominant in game one and won and gave him seven or eight innings, I'd feel a little differently going into this because we all know hitters seeing a pitcher the third time through the order, yep. let alone the second time in a week, helps the hitters out. Yeah, I, I boy, I you know, it is a big law. I think Spencer Strider is fully capable of having a dominant no team. Doubt. But no uh, doubt. the Phillies, it is a tall task for him to beat that team. You mentioned the peripherals. Um, you know, at the end of game two, Bryce Harper gets double off first with what he acknowledged later was a base running mistake. Uh, probably went too far. He slips as he tries to retreat. Right. to Riley picks up the throw from Michael Harris. He guns the first. The game ends in a double play. Uh, and after the game, Orlando Arcia, uh, you know, according to a report that came out, was and the way it was written was that he was cackling emphatically uh, about how uh, about Harper's mistake and saying out loud in a room full of reporters that you know, attaboy Harper. And when I first heard, I got to tell you, Carl, I was like, Nah, yeah, I wonder if that that doesn't sound like Orlando Arcia. I've been around him a bunch. 
And I don't remember him speaking English in front of a group of reporters and certainly not something like that. And I reached out to our friend Eduardo uh, and I asked him, hey, you know Arce better than I do. Do you see him saying that? He goes, nope. And then last night I was in the green room getting ready for baseball tonight. And Rachel Ulrich, our our ESPN.com editor, said, yeah, Jesse Rogers heard it. Uh, Others heard it. And then she played an audio of it for me. I was like, well, that's the way it goes. And you know this with athletes. You give them anything to build on. And it was related to Bryce by his teammates. He told reporters that after the game, they are going to feast. And he did. Yeah, he did. I will say that. I mean, there's a there's a couple of things on this topic. If he's saying attaboy Harper inside a clubhouse and not necessarily responding to one particular question, and that's just a comment he's making out loud for people to hear it, then that's on him for doing it. This wasn't the betrayal of the trust of a media member. Uh, that sounds no. like it's something he didn't mind if everybody heard. And it was second, loud, Carl. The audio yeah. I heard, he was he his voice was above the din of the clubhouse yeah. post game. Yeah. I'm not sure how how anybody and uh you know I know that there have been some comments from Braves players about the clubhouse is a sanctuary, and I personally understand and agree with that. But if somebody is literally yelling in a uh, crowded theater fire, that's not for for you know the media to decide whether we should broadcast that later or write about it. That's something that's being told and heard by everybody. It's getting out. That's not that's not a trust issue. And I do think that the clubhouse is a sanctuary, and there is a huge amount of trust that goes into the relationship between reporter and player, reporter and manager. And we, you, I know most of the people that we associate with have worked incredibly hard to establish that trust. When when someone says something and says it in confidence, it's never going to be written about or talked about ever. That's very different than somebody going into a locker room and screaming, attaboy, Harper. Thirdly, because he said, attaboy, Harper, had zero to do with Bryce Harper hitting two homers, in my opinion. Harper hit two pitches. Harper is intense. Harper kills postseason pitching. He lives for the moment. If we we want to build up the narrative of the moment as greater than it otherwise would have been if he hadn't said, attaboy, Harper, I think it's convenient that uh, that's something that people are glomming onto. They love all that stuff. Um, Bulletin board material is real. It doesn't matter if it was intended in a negative way, whatever. But if you give somebody something else beyond being in a postseason series, being Bryce Harper, being in a series tied 1-1, that's, that's on you. But that's not why he hit two homers or Castellanos hit two homers. May have been why they wore the Dion t-shirts, us against everybody, and you made a personal. That has nothing to do with the two swings Bryce Harper made. Sorry. Yeah, it's David Cohn, and I really got some insight into this when I covered David Cohn as a player. I remember he and Tino Martinez uh, telling me that they would look at the opposing team's media guide and they would find (laughs) reasons to hate everybody. Boy, that guy (laughs) has big ears. What a joke. He's got, boy, I don't like that guy's face. Yeah, it just, uh, it just. I mean, whatever it was, they would just. But I know this, Buster. Co- Coney never went around screaming or Tino in a clubhouse. That guy's got big ears. He's got big ears. Never. Right. 
Right, exactly. And that's uh, and that was the difference. Here's Travis Darno. You referenced the Braves players responding to this, talking about uh, their expectations of how the media should handle a clubhouse. The clubhouse is a sanctuary, and, and I think when things like that get out, it, it doesn't make people want to talk to the media at all. Um, it, it affects the people who have been great to us all year, and it is what it is. I love Travis Darnell. He's one of my favorite players. We've been talking about him this week. He's a great guy. He's totally wrong. I'm sorry, but when the clubhouse doors open and there's restricted, there's a, defi- a defined time when media can be in the clubhouse, everything that's said in there during that time is on the record, whether you like it or not, unless it's a one-on-one conversation, the player looks at you and said, hey, this is off the record and you agreed to it. Other than that, when you got a bunch of reporters in the room, and you yell out something like that, hey, that's on you. That's not on the reporters. Yeah, look, it works both ways, and I'm with you. I've become a very big fan over the years of Darno and have been in uh, clubhouses and elevators and all sorts of uh, different uh, environments with him. He's a smart guy. He's a good guy, not not an issue. But it works both ways. I mean, if it's a sanctuary, then there are certain things – using the metaphor of a sanctuary as a place of worship and quiet. You don't go into a uh, church or a temple and start screaming and expect other people outside not to ever hear about it. That's exactly what he did in a sanctuary by, by yelling that. So I'm uh, I look, I just, I don't agree with that. If again, if he had said that to me, if, if RC had come up to me and said, can you believe that attaboy Harper, please don't use that. Or even without saying that, I wouldn't go out there and then write about it or broadcast it. I wouldn't do it. But he said it in a crowded room where everybody could hear it. And I don't believe there's an obligation on media members to kind of say, well, I'm not going to use that. I mean, everybody knows how, how this stuff works. That That's kerosene on an already burning fire. Well, you know, I don't, I, I just don't see it the way that Travis does. I can see his point in other situations, not this one. So there are a lot of times when the narratives that the media generates are off base. We know that for sure. Well, in the case of the Dodgers, in their series against the Diamondbacks, what we all wondered about turned out to be exactly the problem, which was, do the Dodgers have enough starting pitching? Carl, in the three games, the Dodgers played the Diamondbacks, four and a third innings, 13 runs for, for Clayton Kershaw, uh, and for Bobby Miller and for Lance Lynn, it was ugly for that starting mm-hmm. pitching, which to me is the reason why they lost that series. Yeah, it's very interesting because that that was a narrative created by the media, but everybody else. We knew that was sort of a question mark. By the same token, Buster, the series we just finished, one of the narratives going in was, is the Rangers' bullpen good enough? Can the Rangers' bullpen slow down the offense? And the truth was... Yes, they proved they could. You know, Josh Spores was really good. Cody Bradford was really good. But the narrative was it might be the Rangers' bullpen ability to get through the late innings, and would they be able to do that against the Orioles? They did. In the Dodgers' case, well, there's a question mark about the starting pitching. And in this case, the narrative fed the result. It turned out to be true. Kershaw had a terrible start. Um and then the rest of them, you know, were too young, and Arizona's really hot. I mean, one of the other narratives I would have, I would have assumed, if I were close enough to that series, would have been, 
is Arizona's offense going to be enough? Because, you know, if you have you have Gallon starting and the way he's pitched, well, we feel good about our pitching. We don't know about our offense, even though it's been good and Carroll's the, the best player, you know, in that series uh, who's going to win awards. And so, uh, again, this feels like sometimes it's it, it just – it's out there and it was confirmed. In our case with the Ranger bullpen, it was out there. And it was it 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 was overturned. You know, the call didn't stand. The bullpen was good enough. So that type of stuff, I, I think you can make whatever way you want. But the the, like, the Dodger pitching wasn't good. I don't think their offense was good enough. There were a lot of questions about LA. The greatest statement is how in the world did they, you know, how in the world did we win a hundred games? It it didn't make a lot of sense in a division which has proven itself, thanks to Arizona now, to be a damn good division. The last three years, the Dodgers have averaged 106 wins, mm-hmm. and they are seven and 12 in the postseason. You know, yep. which is part of the reason why Dave Roberts afterward, you could tell he was stunned after uh, after that series is over. They got to go back to the drawing board and figure out what they're going to do next. Um, and I want to ask you about that in a second, but just want to stay on the Diamondbacks a little bit because what a great series for them. Could you have imagined that team that we saw facing the Cubs, fighting for their playoff lives, would be 5-0 and to start the postseason, and, and as an underdog, knock out the Brewers, knock out the Dodgers? Well, if you're asking me if I would have uh, – if I took the Rangers who were 5-0 and and the Diamondbacks who were 5-0 and – I would have absolutely said I, I'm taking Texas. I, I think there's one team that could be five and zero, and it's going to be them, not Arizona. Um, I, I'd say this: being around Arizona when we were, it did feel like they had that ability to have um, other hitters besides Carroll get on a roll. Um, and, and look, Walker is a really, really good player, having a really, really good year and now postseason. That's great. Marte can be hot and cold. So you're, you're always wondering, like, which one are you going to get here? And there were some tweaks of injuries. I think the player who stood out to me, and when you look at the wins and losses when he's on the field and when he wasn't, is Gabby Moreno. Like, this is the coming out party for me, for Carroll, who I think we all knew about, but maybe the yeah. rest of the country, and, and Gabriel Moreno, the catcher. Um, he's a difference maker. There's no doubt about it. Um, so all of a sudden the lineup feels right now, uh, together. And I don't want to go down the road of too many off days for these teams that won a hundred, et cetera, et cetera. But it's quite obvious. There are two teams that are 10 and zero in the postseason, and, uh, that's Arizona and Texas. And we're going to be talking about the playoff format coming up with, uh, with Alex Cora. Uh, the big question for the Dodgers in the immediate horizon is what's going to happen with Clayton Kershaw? Will he return in 2024? What's your gut instinct on that? Because if I had to guess, I'm guessing he doesn't come back. I think he's just had so many injuries. Um, and it makes me a little sad that, yeah. you know, that that potentially would be his last outing. I think I mentioned this on the podcast earlier this week. You know, Sandy Koufax had this unbelievable career. Cy Young's an all-time great. And his last start for the Dodgers was in Dodgers Stadium in the World Series against the Orioles. Willie Davis makes three errors in one inning. It all goes bad. And the last start for Koufax was an ugly one. It, uh, it's possible if Kershaw decides not to come back, that's what happened with him. It's so interesting that you brought that up because this was a conversation I was having with uh, with Tim and others. Ken Rosenthal was involved in it. Uh, Smoltz was involved in it. 
I, I, I didn't know that Sandy Koufax last start, at least on the surface of my memory was a bad one. Uh, that's, that is so far down on the list of things right. that I would ever consider with Koufax. However, in Kershaw's case, we did get into this discussion about, can you believe, and this, I didn't, I didn't lead this conversation. I joined into it, but it was, can you believe that that might be the way he, he's, and I, you know, I want to, I want to clarify and I really want to be careful because I, I don't, I don't think people said, can you believe that's how he's going to be remembered? It wasn't as serious as that. And it wasn't as simple as that's just going to be kind of a footnote on his incredible career that his last start was terrible. I'm of the mind that the last start with regards to his, his sort of um, his career and his legacy is, is, is irrelevant. Like I will never remember when my grandson Mitchell says, tell me about Clayton Kershaw. Well, he was as, as good a left-handed pitcher for his time as he ever saw. He had some trouble winning uh, in the postseason, but, but he eventually got a ring. I would never bring up the last start was terrible. Where I think the last start may impact him is, is his decision moving forward. And it goes either way. Either he's going to be motivated to, to continue to work as hard as he always has, which is as hard as anybody, or he's going to say, look, I'm done. I, I've, I've done enough. Like, I'm not going to go back. I felt terrible for my teammates. I put us as an organization in a hole, and that's not what a game one starter is supposed to be. And I don't know Clayton well enough to know if he wants to be a, a game three starter um, or he always wants to be the guy that is given the ball in game one. And if that, if that part of his life is over, then he may not want to continue. I'd lean towards he's not going to play anymore. I, I'd lean towards watching the way he interacts with his kids, uh, knowing that uh, they're all in school, knowing that they're back in the you know in Texas and he's in LA following the Dodgers until their season's over. That they're only going to try to get better, which means the season's going to get extended, and he's away from them again. I, I I'd lean towards you that he's not going to play again next season for those reasons. In the American League Championship Series, we're going to have 68-year-old manager Bruce Bochy against 74-year-old yeah. manager Dusty Baker. Uh, I don't know if you saw after the game last night after the Astros won, Dusty was interviewed on the yeah. field, and he had this little grin on his face like, I get to go up against Bruce Bochy. And I know there's such fondness and mutual respect between the two. Pretty cool. I think it's going to be a great matchup, two American League West teams. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I mean, those two guys are so um, so historical in their ability to call up names and games. And we saw, you know, uh, Bochy use Cody Bradford in the game, and we see most relievers who last an inning. Sometimes they face a batter. He left his lefty in there for three-plus innings, and throughout the game on the radio, Tim and I were amazed at what appeared to be Bruce Bochy's willingness in this case because Bradford kept getting guys out to say, well, why would I go take him out even though this may say this is a bad matchup? I think he let him face Mountcastle, which on the surface and with the numbers doesn't make a lot of sense, and he was able to deal with that. Um I, I am so looking forward to that, those two. I'm looking forward to Verlander Scherzer. I'm looking forward to the middle of both of these orders. 
I'm looking forward to watching Evan Carter. There's so many things about this particular series. Uh, Plus, I get to work with two of my best friends in Eduardo and Tim. This is uh, this feels like somebody gifted us this series, uh, and I, I can't I cannot wait. I am so excited about it. I hope that these off days don't slow down the Rangers and the Astros. I I hope it's not a messy first game where it's, you know, nobody's getting any hits because the pitchers are rested and the offense is rusty. Yeah. Uh, and I'd, I'd say this, the good thing is, is that you potentially could have Nathan Avaldi lined up to start a game one. You can have Justin Verlander, I presume is going to start game one for the Astros. Uh, you've got, you know, the Rangers with that great offense and all these guys who have experienced the postseason, Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, and the Astros again in the American League Championship Series. Carl, you and I talked about this down the stretch, how I felt all along like the Astros were a team that got bored with the regular season because they played in so many big games. Well, now we get full-blown, you know, this is <laughs> this is the Astros team that, uh, you know, it, you thought that they might be uh, during the course of regular season, but now we're in October. This is their stage. You can see it in guys like Alex Bregman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without question. And uh, and they know that. Look, the, the, this is I don't know that it has the, the same intensity that uh, a Mets Yankees series would have. But this is one state. These are two incredibly proud uh, fan bases. These are two teams that don't necessarily like each other very much. You know, they'll talk about respect going in. But there's there's a lot of, you know, underlying competitiveness, I'll call it instead of anything else between these two and uh, Jordan Alvarez in the middle of one Corey Jose Seager Abreu in the middle. rehabilitated Jose Altuve. Yeah. Abreu is hitting um, Adolis Garcia Buster. Nobody swings harder than Adolis Garcia. And I know Sarah's coming on soon and I don't know if you could ever, ever measure a guy's uh, you know, it's almost like how hard a golfer swings at it. They, they talk about club head speed. His bat speed, at least in the games we watched, was unbelievable. He was so frustrated. In fact, Bochy said after that four-strikeout performance uh, uh, in game one, it might have been, in any event, one or two, he said he was embarrassed. He was just embarrassed by it. But nobody swings harder. It's it's got so much potential. you got two good catchers who can try to control the running game with Maldonado and Haim. Uh, it, it's great. I can't, I can't wait. There are so many good things to look forward to. It's going to be incredible. Rangers and um, Astros in game one Sunday night on ESPN radio. Yeah. When you had that call of Garcia's home run the other day, the monster home run, I was doing sports center with John Anderson and they're playing the highlight and our microphones are turned off in that moment, as you know, and we're on, on, uh, on the floor and John heard it. And he was like, is that our man Ravi? And I just nodded. Yo, yeah. He sold it. Because it was a home run worthwhile, that's for sure. Worth that get treatment given uh, how far he hit the ball. All right, Ravi, thanks for doing this. I will see you uh, during this series. Look forward to it. Thanks, Buster. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Alex Cora is the manager of the Boston Red Sox, and he, of course, has many years of experience in the postseason. Alex, how you doing on this Thursday? Doing good, man. Uh, happy to be with you. How are you, by the way? I'm doing okay. You know, crazy. You know how it is in Bristol, where you are <laughs> I'm doing shows. We were doing shows the last couple of nights at one thirty in the morning and getting Oof. up and doing other shows. And there's, you got the AM, you got the PM. It's all crazy. It's a little smoother today, though, with only one game. You, How it's much okay. of this are you watching? I'm watching. I'm watching. We love watching it. Uh, I'm a baseball fan. I'm, I'm a I'm a big league manager, but I'm a baseball fan, and uh, I enjoy just sitting around with the family and watch. Uh, invite a few guys, a few friends, and watch, and texting with players and coaches and and people just uh, about what's going on. You know, one thing that uh, I don't like is kind of like the second guessing of people. I, I, you know, like, what is he doing? What is this? What is that? And I'm like, nah, we don't, we don't play that game here. You know, we just watch and enjoy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. On social media this morning, I saw, I tweeted out about the Dodgers record the last three years. They've averaged 106 wins and they're seven and 12 in the postseason the last three years. And somebody tweeted back, it's Dave Roberts management, the bullpen. And I was like, wait a second. Starting pitchers gave up 13 runs in a four and a third innings. And you think yes, it's sir. Dave Roberts? Like, come it's on, tough, man. Uh, uh, sometimes I, I go back <clears throat> to eighteen and uh, twenty-one and uh, see how we move our pitchers. But at the end of the day, you know, there's nothing you can do, right? Uh, I mean, the D-backs—they—they uh, they have a good team, man. They hit the ball out of the ballpark. They put the ball in play. Uh, we faced them early in the season. Actually, we were playing really good in that trip, and. Uh, we were impressed with the approach. Uh, they 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 do a lot of good things. Base running. You know, we talk about it during the whole season. I was wondering what was going to happen in the playoffs, and they haven't slowed down. You know, they they're doing their thing. They're hopping at first. A lot of two disengagements and take off. And um, it was uh, good for Tory. Good for Mike. You know, uh, everything has been. Uh, he went through right, and uh, for them to be able to to make it to the NLCS is a testament of who they are as an organization, what they believe, and uh, they're in a good spot right now. Yeah, Alex, along those lines, I, I didn't even have this to mention this, but you're right. Mike Hazen, head of baseball operations there, you know, lost his wife to cancer. Uh, and last night, his four sons, their four sons, threw out the first pitch last night. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we went to Arizona, um, 
they had something for the foundation too. It was uh, very moving, as you know, Raquel and Eddie and BOH, you know, they have a history with Mike. Uh, there's a lot of people from the Red Sox uh, with the D-backs. So it was kind of like a, a class reunion uh, for obviously uh, a, a tough weekend as far as like, you know, getting to see Mike and see the kids and all that. I know for Raquel was tough and, and for Eddie, but uh, it was cool to see them. And uh, like I said, happy for them that they made it to the next round. Well, there's another Red Sox connection with what they've accomplished down the stretch. And, uh, I, I don't know if you've heard this story, but the Diamondbacks are really struggling in mid-September. They go into City Field. They have a, you know, they have a tough series. I, I, got, I know that one. I know that one. He talked to us. We finished last. Wait, 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 wait. wait. We got to say it. Yeah. We're so, talking right, Tori Lavella, Tori Lavella <laughs> calls Dustin Bedroya. And then brings him into the clubhouse on the Friday uh, before they play the Cubs in this big series. And Pedroia goes in, talks to the players about, hey, don't talk to me about being young. Don't talk to me about being tired. Let's go. So, you know, he walks out. They sweep the Cubs. They are 13-6 and six since Dustin spoke to the team, but you're not buying it? Well, we finished last. And he talked to us <laughs> in spring training. He actually spent three days with us. So I'm not giving him credit. Not at all. <laughs> He probably went to the Cubs and talked to Rossi and Napoli and all those guys. So, you know, no, enough of that. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> um, that's what we try to do as leaders, right? Um, you know, we, we try to, like, get people in the clubhouse, people that have a, a diff different perspective of what's going on. Um, one of the things that um, throughout our process, the last few weeks, the last month and a half, um, you know, sometimes things are not as bad as, as people see it, right? And sometimes things are not as great as people see it. Uh, there's always kind of like a neutral side, right? You're neutral, but it's always good for to bring somebody that you know. Petey wasn't even paying attention to D-backs. You know, he lives he lives in Arizona. He's been to two games probably in in, in the last four years. But uh, <laughs> he likes Tory. He loves Mike. And uh, for him to go over there and talk to him, talk about a guy that uh, you know his rookie season. He went through the up and downs of the, the grind, the 162, and he, quote, unquote, survived. Actually, he did more than survive, and he dominated. And then in the playoffs, uh, he had that great um, game seven game against the, the Indians at that time, Cleveland, and then obviously the first pitch swing against Francis in the, in the, in the World Series. So uh, I know he, he always kills it. He's always good about that. So uh, not surprised that the guys took the message and uh, – you know, it seems like he, he really helped them as far as, like, the perspective of the, the season and where they were. All right. And, on again, continue with the Red Sox connection. On the other side, Mookie Betts, you know, tough series for him. Uh, he goes one for 11. Uh, Freddie Freeman goes one for 10. Or, excuse me, uh, you know, they, they between the two of them, they go one for 21. Uh, and to hear Mookie after the game, boy, he was in pain. Like, you could hear just the, him being so frustrated. Tell me what you saw there. Well, um, the pitching coach for the D-backs is really good too, uh, Brent Strom, and uh, yes. he's been battling. He's been battling Mookie since 2017. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, in the in the, in the ALDS, uh, the the Astros, we faced him in the ALDS. I still remember going over the scouting reports, and I have it very vividly in my mind. And uh, just watching you know, the the way they attacked him, the Astros. When we faced them uh, in um, in 18, 
then uh, you know you see what they what they try to accomplish in this series and they did an outstanding job. Uh, is is impressive. Uh, he was he was close to getting out of it. To be honest with you, he hit the ball hard to uh, to center field. They hit that rocket to third base, but uh, they did a good job avoiding damage. I think that's the most important thing. When 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 you're in the playoffs, you heard Nate Ovaldi talking about it the other day. You heard Carlos Correa praising Martin Maldonado the way he calls the game. You, you're trying to to very simple pitch to the blue, avoid the red. And if you do that, you're going to keep the ball in the ballpark. Obviously, there's going to be mistakes, and uh, the hitters are going to take advantage of it. But uh, if you execute your plan, there's a good chance that things like that are, are going to happen. I'm so glad you brought up Martin Maldonado. I was going to ask you about that, and I saw Carlos's comment where this little hint of a smile went over his face as he started. He said, I don't want to give too much credit to you know Martin Maldonado. It was like just what you said about Pedroia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, want to give too way. much credit. But Maldonado, people last year, as you know, uh, the Astros were talking about a possible deal. The front office was talking about a possible deal for Wilson Contreras. And Dusty Baker basically was like, we got our catcher. We got our guy who wants to be the number one. Um, and they wound up adding Christian Vasquez because they thought Christian would be comfortable being a number two. Tell me what you see in Maldonado and what he does to help pitchers, especially this time of year. Um, he, he's taught me a lot throughout the last few years. Uh, he's a guy that uh, – I talked in the off season. Um, I, I believe my 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 weaknesses, uh, my weakness, you know, with game as far as like knowledge, is uh, is pitching. You know, like I I didn't pitch. I didn't spend too much time, you know, uh, learning about pitchers when I play. I have learned a lot the last five years, of course. You know, since I started managing. But talking to him about preparation, what to look for. Uh, you know, be creative out there. Yeah. And, and they did it in, uh, in 21 against us. We, we were locked in offensively. Uh, you, you know, like we lost the first game, if I'm not mistaken. Then we had a great game in game two. Game three, we did our thing. And in, in game three, halfway through the game, he, start, he started improvising, right? Like we had a great, great game plan. We had a pretty good idea what we wanted to do. And he started going to places that, we didn't expect them to go, and the game was like 12 to three, if I if I'm not mistaken, it was the fifth inning, sixth inning, and they started using the fastball in different areas, and I was like, hey, we gotta be ready because it's changing. Um, the next day, I think it was uh, Granky started the game. We hit him pretty hard. Bregman made a great play at third base in the first inning. If that if that ball goes by, I think we're playing the World Series. But then uh, Javier came in. And he dominated us on two, you know, he dominated us. And they had that beginning in the ninth against Nate, um, you know, 2-2 two, two count to Castro. Close call. It was call a ball and that was it. But he adjusts from the game plan. Usually, as you know, most of the teams, they have a script, right? This is how we're going to do it. And they stick to it. Martin doesn't do that. You know, he, he, he studies. He's becoming a, a master of uh, true media. And uh, he, he uses all the filters and is nonstop. Even yesterday, they hit a home run late in the game. I think it was the Braille, sorry. And you see him in the dugout just giving him like a high five and back to his uh, scouting report. And uh, even the last pitch of the, the game, I, I bet 95% of the people watching that game, they thought it was going to be 
a breaking ball, right? Yeah. And it was yeah. a fastball, you know, because 95% of the people in that ballpark and watching the game thought it was going to be a breaking ball because that's why he threw 3-2-3-2 to the first two hitters. But then, boom, fastball, strikeout, let's get out. We avoid Carlos. We don't have to face him. And uh, he's a good one, man. Um, I know the metrics do- doesn't help him. Uh, you know, he's rated probably the worst uh, framing catcher in the in the world, to be honest with you. But uh, he has a great arm. He has a good feel. Offensively, he gives you what you need, right? That's a team that is going to score runs. Whenever it's a man at first with no out or a man at second with no outs, he'll bunt him over. And uh, he's a winner, man. What a, what a career. A guy that was designated for assignment early on, just keep grinding, keep grinding, gain up a reputation. And uh, he has already one ring. And, you know, there's a good chance he'll get another one. Yeah. he Boy, the way he seems to, you know, slow it down when hitters are all sped up. Maybe the postseason adrenaline. We saw that with Christian Javier. It felt like that the Twins were looking for that fastball, and he gets it, has him throw a ton of breaking balls. And then yesterday, uh, to your point, maybe a little bit opposite in situations, you know, like that last pitch. Uh, there's so much conversation, Alex, about the format uh, because you're seeing all these top seeds get knocked out. You know, the Dodgers are out now. The Orioles are out now. The Braves could get knocked out later today. I, I kind of shrug my shoulders about it. Like, hey, that's the nature of, of playoff baseball. And on top of that, I, I wish Major League Baseball would essentially change the rules a little bit and give the number one and number two seeds the choice. Do you want the days off and the bye or do you want to play the wild card round? And I think you and I both know everyone would pick the buy. They would take the rest. And the, but at least we'd bypass the whining about the format. What do you think? The one thing I would change, I re, I'll reset the the, the seedings. Right? I'll do that. You know, the 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 number one seed plays the worst uh, record. You know uh, that that survives the first round, and then you go from there. But. Give me the rest, bro. You know, like they, I mean, we, we talking in a sport that sports medicine and the medical staff and everybody's screaming at us, less BP, less ground balls, make sure he gets one day off every 15 days, all that. Now we're talking about five off days. If you ask each one of those individuals about the five days before it happened, they'll be like, give me the five days. Give me the five days. And uh, there's going to be teams that, you know, uh, the Rangers right now, right? I mean, Houston too, right? The Rangers are going to have how many days in between rounds? I know Five they days just play, and the Astros get four days. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they just play. But I don't, I don't buy it. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those that, especially those teams. Imagine, imagine if it was the old rules with the 40 man roster, right? Instead of just adding two guys in September. Right. You were able to add whatever all the way to 40, and then you start pacing yourself in September because you got to take care of your pitchers and all that. I mean, I I don't buy it. I don't, you know, like, just – they just play better, you know. And there was a 3-2 game in Baltimore, right, the first game of the of the series. Yep. There were some, you know, with the Dodgers, it just – they didn't pitch. Uh, it's hard to come back from six nothing and three nothing right away in the playoffs and in the regular season. It's, it's really hard. And then we had a good series with the Astros and uh, Twins. It was a really good series. Yep. And, uh, right now, the other one, 
you know, with all the respect of the Atlanta Braves, but it seems like the Phillies right now at a, uh, at they are at a f- full force. They're probably the most complete team right now in the playoffs. And there's something I really like about that group. They don't care what people think about them celebrating. You know, like they're they're. It looks like a. I don't know, like a hockey team, probably, right? That's the best comparison, you know, like a bunch of guys with beard and, uh, you know, just hanging out. And, uh, you know, you got to tip your hat to Dave and you got to tip your hat to uh, Kyle. We talk about it early in the season. Yes. Uh, Kyle, just different, man. He's a different cat. He gets it. Um, You know, Bryce Harper, you think about Bryce three years ago, and where he's at right now, you read his quotes. He always wanted to win, right? But the way he goes about it and just expressing expressing his emotions, you didn't see that a while ago, right? And I think, you know, Kyle has to do a lot with that. He's he's freaking awesome. Yep, Kyle Schwarber, I think, you know, uh, arguably one of the best teammates. And you had him on the Red Sox, and you saw that firsthand. Uh, along those lines, I'm curious, when I was watching that playoff last night, I knew I was going to talk to you. We saw what happened with Orlando Arcia. I actually heard an audio last night of what he was saying while the reporters in the clubhouse. And I, my feeling is, and I know Travis Darno and other players said, look, the clubhouse is a sanctuary. And, and my reaction as a reporter is, if the, if the clubhouse is open and reporters are in there, then what I've said is fair game, you know? Uh, so they're in that situation last night. Uh, and because it was reported and teammates told Harper about what R.C. has said, he gives a stare down twice to him when he hits these two monster home runs. On the teams you were on, did you guys have conversations about, look, do not say anything but complimentary stuff about the other team when you speak publicly? Did you guys have conversations like that? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> not, not, too, not too long ago, to be honest with you. Uh, it was in 21. I'm not going to go into details, but in 21, we had a situation like that. Just, you know, keep going, keep grinding. Uh, there was one in 07 against us. Uh, Who we was were, it? Do you remember? We were, no, we, we were down 3-1 against uh, Cleveland. And uh, we won that game, Josh Beckett, right? The, the national anthem game. He, he, he wins that game. We go home and... Uh, there was a quote, I forgot who he was, but you can look look at it. It says that the champagne tastes the same in Boston as in Cleveland. You oh. know, so, so it was we uh, Pookie, our clubby, you know, he was locked in. He put it on the board, you know, and right there. And uh, we won game seven and we we autograph a bottle of champagne and send it to the to the visitors clubhouse. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened in 07. That happened in 07. Yeah, because, I I mean, you know, you saw the Jordan documentary. You give those guys, you give anybody that kind of uh, juice or anything to, to focus on, and it seems to raise their game just a yeah. little bit. It, it, it's not that you need it because I think that the ultimate goal is there, is to win that ring. So that, that's the thing that is going to push you regardless. But you know how we are. You know how athletes are. I, I mean, you know how – human beings are, you know, like you give me something, I'm going to run away with it, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, interesting. I feel bad for, for Arcia cause, uh, I do too. It, you know, the interview, it was very awkward, right. You know, the translation and all that, it, it was like, you know what, it, you know, he took, 
he hit two homers. That's it. We got to turn the page, you know, and, uh, you know, we got two more games. You know, we got to win two games. We got to find a way. But it was uh, – I didn't like the interview, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I uh, When I first heard about this, I was like – and I'd been around Orlando, RC, a hundred times. And I can't remember speaking English uh, in a group with a lot of people around. And so I texted Eduardo Perez, our friend and colleague at ESPN, and I said, do you think he said this? And Eduardo was like, no. And I was like, I don't – I can't see him saying this either. And then, like, 15 minutes later, heard an audio of it. And I'm like, well, that's the way it goes, right? boy Harper. That's what he said. And, uh, you know, they paid the price last night for it because Harper was really jacked. All right, Alex, thanks for doing this. Thank you. Be well. And, uh, you know, let's talk again before he's over. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter-producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? And I know you're going to be better soon because it's established how much you love, birth- you love birthdays. But guess what? Today is Sarah Abbott's birthday. It's like birthday week on the podcast. Taylor Schwink, now it's Sarah Abbott. What do you think? Oh, my gosh. Happy birthday. Wow. I love that you two work together. Your birthdays are so close, you and Taylor. That's awesome. Yeah. I hope you have a great day. And you notice well, Sarah's got her her Phillies red because yes. she's a lifelong Phillies fan as, as of last year. So, Sarah Abbott, that's, uh, you know, pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. And hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully the Phillies can take one home for my birthday. That would be such a great present, wouldn't it? <laughs> I love it. I love that. You know, I know you had uh, Alex Coron earlier. I believe when the Red Sox won the ALCS in 2018, that happened on his birthday. So a lot of birthday things on this podcast. I'm 98% sure. Was either that or the World Series, and I don't think it was the World Series, so I'm pretty sure it was the ALCS. That Gee. that is an all time Sarah Lang's moment, pulling out a random oh, birthday right. statistic, <laughs> you know, this important day out of nowhere. Wow. Yeah, you're right, Sarah. I remember being in the Red Sox clubhouse and all the Red Sox when they were celebrating winning the series. They were all uh, chanting for Alex Cora because it was his birthday as well. All right. Let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is eight. So for Sarah's Phillies. Uh, the Bryce Harper homered for the eighth time with the Phillies in the postseason eighth game. Ninth home run, obviously he hit two. But the eight, all of those eight games were his home run in the postseason. The Phillies have won. And yes, as I've said so many times, you hit a home run, you're probably going to win the game. But we've seen so many games, like look at Royce Lewis yesterday, right? You don't always win the game when you hit one specific home run. So Bryce Harper's streak of winning each of the first eight games where he is home run in the postseason with the Phillies is tied for the longest win streak when home run to start a postseason career with a franchise with Javi Lopez in the 90s and early 2000s with the Braves. And it gets even better because the Nationals actually won the last game that he played with them in the postseason where he homered. 
So it is a nine-game streak overall for his team's winning when he homers in the postseason. Only two players have had a longer streak. Carlos Correa with 10 straight from 2017 through 2020, and Bernie Williams from 96 through 2000, also with 10. Number two. Number two is 16. So the Dimax pulled off the upset in that series. They had won 16 fewer regular season games than the Dodgers. That is the sixth largest regular season wins upset in a postseason series. And the thing for the Dodgers is that each of the last three times that they've been eliminated from the postseason are on this list. So largest upset was the 1906 World Series. The White Sox had the one 23 fewer games than the Cubs. Then we had the NLDS last year. Padres won 22 fewer than the Dodgers. With the ONALCS, Yankees have won 21 fewer than the Mariners. Then we have the 2021 NLCS. Braves have won 18 fewer than the Dodgers. And then we have the 1973 NLCS. So again, Top six regular season wins, upsets in the postseason series. Three of those are the Dodgers in the last three years. Number one. Number one is 1.313. That was Jordan Alvarez's slugging percentage in this series. Not OPS, slugging percentage. That is the fourth highest slug in a postseason series with a minimum of 15 plate appearances behind only Luke Eric in the 1920 World Series and otherworldly 1.727. And then Juan Gonzalez and Bebrith each had a 1.375. Juan gone in the uh, 96 ALDS and Bebrith in that same 1928 World Series. But again, 1.313 slugging percentage doesn't even sound real. All right, so uh, you, I mentioned the podcast yesterday in my conversation that uh, I was having that maybe uh, with Peter Moyland and maybe the better comparison for the Phillies versus Braves, better than Ali Frazier, would be Nadal and Federer because the great mutual respect between those two I'm going to officially withdraw that after what we saw with the Phillies and Braves last night with, with Harper's tearing down Arcia. Did your dad hear the comparison, him being the tennis player? Did he text you? You know what? He didn't. And now I'm going to ask him if he didn't listen yet. That's a very good point. But I'm sure he loved it if he did listen. When I no, I think he, that's why he didn't He didn't reach out to you. He was like, no, no, no. He's totally busted, totally wrong. He misread the situation. These two teams can't stand each other. No, I'm just kidding. It's, he wouldn't say that. Uh, so when you, in your days as a runner, if you pass someone and you were going to beat him at the finish line, would, tell me about, would you stare them down as you were passing them? I mean, I was never winning any races, to be clear. <laughs> I picked up running in college. I was never on the team. 
But if I were to ever pass anyone, I would certainly not be staring them down <laughs> because I would know they were about to pass me back any moment. But again, I'm not a professional athlete. It was quite a moment, just all of the emotion and everything. It was very exciting to see just for the sport, even if it's written kind of upsetness and negativity. <laughs> right. Okay, Sarah, we'll talk to you on Friday. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Thursday. And first up, we've got Adrian Beeman. Uh, he writes, I'm probably not the first to point this out, but one of these used to be right along 95 North between the airport and Citizens Bank Park. And he sends in a picture of a billboard for what looks like a local jewelry company and a, uh, a woman uh, lifting her, her ring finger. First glance, looks like her middle finger. And it says, she's tired of waiting. <laughs> it's a good bit. <laughs> well, that's kind of how the Phillies feel about their ring fingers, oh! right? They want one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're looking for a championship ring this year. Yeah, that uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of drivers along the uh, interstate who do double takes. Like, wait, they put up a billboard of somebody giving the middle finger. And, <laughs> you know, so genius. That's exactly our reaction. Castellanos did it to his teammates, uh-huh. you know, last week or whatever it was. All right, and then we got Brian Stone King here, light batch. Uh, he writes, a nasty Nate goes seven innings, faces 26 batters, 98 pitches. I guess a manager doesn't have to pull a pitcher tw- uh, after twice through a lineup. I'm sure he would have gladly went for the eighth, too. Some glow. Yeah, we had this again yesterday, right, with the Twins and Joe Ryan starts. And from what I understand, the Twins had it all mapped out, all scripted out, all ready to go. And... <laughs> You know, and sometimes you don't have a script. Like when Kershaw started, you don't have a script and it doesn't work out either. But I, I really, I'm kind of, I was talking to our, to Rachel Ulrich, uh, our uh, editor at ESPN.com yesterday about this, about how at some point there needs to be a study like, does this actually work? You know, is this big picture? Is this actually a good thing? Because it feels like we've had so many examples where these teams that have scripted out pitching throughout an entire game it just doesn't work and on the other hand when you get a manager like Dusty Baker yesterday with Jose Arquiti or Bruce Bochi with Nathan Avaldi just watching their pitchers and saying I'm going to stay with them and if they start to get hit then I'll make a change I, I I trust that better than just dumping guys even when they're pitching well Let's go. Uh, I just looking through Bleacher tweets here this morning. Uh, let's do a question about the Dodgers real quick. Devin Kelly writes, "And will the Dodgers of the last decade be remembered like the '90s Braves, consistently good yes. teams?" Okay, there yep. you go. Yep, no doubt. <laughs> I mean, that's a perfect comparison. You yeah. know, the Dodgers have made the playoffs over and over and over again, and with the exception of the uh, COVID season of 2000, the short season, they have been they've lost in those Braves teams. They have all those Hall of Famers. They have all those postseason appearances. And they have one championship from 1995. Mm. Sad. All right, Dodgers. Better luck next year. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets while you're watching this fabulous Braves-Phillies game tonight. Very excited for that. We'll uh, we'll catch you tomorrow. Fired up. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. My thanks to Alex Cord, to Sarah, Carl, Parker, Owen, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, 
moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Choose provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Choose.